and welcome to the latest episode of The Adoption Files. Today, I have as my guest, Lisa Ann. Lisa Ann is the author at the blog, The Wandering Tree, and host of the podcast by the same name. She is a fellow closed adoptee, and uh, we're going to talk about her experience as an adoptee from a state with... uh, newly changed laws. So hi, Lisa Ann, how are you today? Well, hello, and thank you. Thank you for having me on board here with uh, your podcast, The Adoption Files. Uh, I appreciate the opportunity to share my story. Well, thank you for agreeing to participate. I always feel like I need to call my interviewees like my victims. (laughs) Right, willing victims, willing victims. Yeah, here we go. At least it's informed consent. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. I'll have to remember that one. Informed consent of a victim. Yeah. Yeah. You have informed consent this time around when it comes (laughs) to adoption. Absolutely. That's Um, a, that's a good place to start. That is for sure. I, I agree completely. So you were born in Iowa. I was born in Iowa. I was born in Sioux city, Iowa to be exact in 1972. So that is a really important date for you that we will talk about. Um, Did you grow up knowing that you were adopted? I did, right? And so that's the tail end of the baby scoop era for those that are familiar with that term. And I always knew I was adopted. In fact, my earliest memory of knowing that was around the time I started kindergarten. My parents felt that it was important for whatever reason, to share with me that I was. And then they furthered that by sharing with me other kids uh, within my town and in my grade specifically that were adopted. So I've known for as long as I can remember. That is a really odd, that's the first time I've ever heard of someone's parents. Did they think that it would be reassuring for you to know that you weren't the only adopted child? You know, I've often wondered that I've never asked, you know, and they have both uh, since passed. So it's not not something I can ask them, you know, to date, but I think that it was part of, you know, things they were given or told to do as um, adoptee parents and how to navigate the adoptee parent footprint. Uh, And maybe they felt that it would be good for me to know other students who had a similar background. Now, in hindsight, I tell you, it was irrelevant, right? Um, You're going to be a kid and you're going to make the connections you need to make, regardless of something, you know, uh, a similar trait such as adoption. It's, it wouldn't, it wouldn't have mattered either direction, I don't think. I kind of, I kind of wonder, though, if it just sort of highlights that you're different, you know, that's a, that's a great point because I think it, it did. Right. And then we're, we're going to dive into some of those terms that we all really cringe. I cringe when I hear them, uh, special and chosen and, you know, different, and I could go on with that list. And so don't add to it by, by, you know, making it a little bit more difficult. Uh, I think that would be a, a good, would have been a good recommendation. And then in that time period, right. Yeah, and I I think there's this kind of pervasive myth that there was this uniformity of advice that our adoptive parents were given about how to raise adopted kids, you know, how to talk to us, how to approach uh, adoption, and yet everybody I talked to, their parents seem to have received different uh, instructions, mm-hmm. you yeah. know, I, yeah. And I think that it kind of illustrates the fact that there is no uniformity. There's the laws, everything. They're all so different from one place to another. Yeah. And they make, they definitely make it difficult, right? Um, I would say as difficult as they can for the everyone not associated with the adopted parents, right? The adopted parents and the birth mom, 
they get all of the all of the consideration and everybody else is just a supporting character. Um, and that's, that's just unfortunate. Uh, and in my particular case, um, I had no identifying information and you'll find this a little bit um, interesting as in none, like zero. I had no idea what um, any medical information uh, no non-identifying information on a, a mother or a father. And until recently, I'd never even seen adoption papers. Like I didn't even know how the contracts looked. So, yeah, no, that's a, that's, I had no idea what to expect when I requested my papers. In, in fact, I had no idea that my birth certificate looked any different from anybody else's. Uh, so, so you were an agency adoption. I, I was, um, there was a home in, um, in Iowa, I believe I'm going to slaughter the name. So anybody that knows it, um, really just give me grace, but it's the Florence, Florence Crichton, um, home and it was a hospital and it, it was a very big deal uh, in that time period and in that Midwest area. And so my birth mother, I have learned since, was taken there um, to deliver and, um, and I was left behind. And, uh, and then that's how the story began. Okay, so, so then how old were you when you started asking questions about, you know, who your family was? I, I feel like um, that was early on. And then I will tell you, I repressed it for a long time. Like I would, I probably hint at it and it wasn't received favorably. And so I would not um, ask again, or maybe there would be, um, you know, kind of like a teenage sarcastic comment. Um, you know, I probably went through many of those stages of you're not my mother. Um, in, in context to, you know, how we process some of that. Um, and then uh, at that point, I realized, I'd say probably my late teens, I realized asking those questions uh, were hurtful um, or perceived as hurtful. And so I just stopped and I, I made a decision to wait until I was um, older and an adult to begin the next kind of search or, or you know, try to figure it out. Well, I think what you say is so common among adoptees, and it fuels this idea that people who grow up knowing don't want to know, or they don't care, or they're, you know, they're happy with things the way that they are. And I think, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but it sounds more like it's a safety kind of, kind of strategy. Uh, I would I kind of agree with that, right? I definitely think that sometimes it is, it is that protection layer. Absolutely. I, I can't disagree at all. Yeah, because I you know, know even finding out late, it was really scary to ask questions that I could see made people uncomfortable. Well, and even even now, right? Even now as an adult who has found um, you know, those beginning, those beginning days and connected with biological family, I am in reunion, I still am very cautious about what I ask or how I ask it or what I say or how I interact. And I'm constantly putting someone else's needs uh, and concerns above my own. And the reality is, even though I've always known I was adopted, I also long just to know my birth story and I have a, I call it a life gap, right? I have this period of time where there's nothing about me. Like I don't even exist on the earth. And that's that as an adult is kind of like, I don't know, makes my skin crawl, I guess is the best <laughs> way to put it. Like, so there's, there's no record that I exist legally um, that I can see anyway. Uh, there are no pictures of me uh, from the from the day that they walked away from the hospital to the day that I was put in someone's arms. I have no idea where I was. So was was I in a foster home? 
was I, you know, in a, in a nursery, like a, an orphanage nursery, no idea. So that, that in itself is a lot. And those are reasons to look too, right? Not just my birth story, but there's this thing and it's a life gap. Gosh, I'd like to find somebody that could say, Hey, yeah, I was there when you rolled over. Like, you know, the, the milestones that as parents, you just love, or, you know, you got, you got more hair or, you know, a tooth came in or, you know, just weird stuff, weird, nonsensical to some extent stuff. Well, even just, you know, how much did I weigh when I was born? How, how long was I, did I have hair? Did I not have hair? Like you said, it's for me, when I think about, I, I had a two week gap but I know where I was. I just don't know who cared for me. And I had nightmares for years as a child about, oh, wow. about strangers um, just, you know, kind of looming over me and chasing me around. And it wasn't until I found out that I'm adopted that any of it kind of clicked into place for me. So if you had months, how old were you when you were adopted? I, I believe I was placed in um, my adoptive parents' arms at about six months. So just, that's probably cons- just right or right. Yeah, just right shy of six months. So that's a considerable amount of time developmentally. Right. And who was who was developing me? <laughs> Right. It sounds almost like a Polaroid picture, but like, (laughs) honestly, who, who was the person that was connecting all those, those dots of early childhood development for me? Yeah. Do you even know if it was a consistent person or if it was multiple people? Yeah. I have no information to date. And that kind of gets us to, you know, where, where, where do I get that information? So, um, and just to reiterate, right, I've had no identifying information. And I just recently confirmed through an aunt, a biological aunt, that that was the that was the place that I was born, right, that that's where they took my birth, uh, my birth mother to deliver. And that was, (laughs) that was, uh, what, two weeks before she passed away. And so I'm still in the process of like, okay, now how do I get any information? So that implies, that implies maybe my adoption was, you know, um, handled in Iowa where I was born. And so then you have to start with the next thing, right? Um, And one of the more sought after pieces of, of information by some adoptees that are searching is our original birth certificate. And as you know, the laws by state vary and how that is achieved or available, um, you know, can vary also, even if there isn't a law for, for availability. So that's huge. Having that one little piece of paper might help, uh, set off, um, you know, another set of dominoes per se, or it may be a dead end. Who knows? But at least it's yours and you, you get to hold that. It's that proof that you existed as a person from the very beginning. Yes, uh, it does. And you know what it also does? I, I didn't think this was going to be important. Um, but as I have uh, immersed myself into the adoptee culture and I am submerged and I, I know you know what this means, you know, where you read everything, you're searching for every, you know, possible way to find information and you're talking about it. Uh, you're listening to podcasts such as ours, you know, you're in groups. When you're in that, in that space, you realize how important just that one piece of paper becomes to you, right? Uh, like I, I believe I have another name that just boggles my mind. Like, I can't think of myself as anyone other than Lisa Ann, because that's who I've been. But the reality is 
I potentially could have been called something else for six months. Well, and honestly, you could be on your third name, uh, depending on yeah, whether or right. not. I don't know. Dead. That's a great point. Who knows? <laughs> yeah. yeah. I've talked to people who uh, discovered that. I think I just had a revelation that maybe I'm, I'm uh, multifaceted. And <laughs> it's, it's like my finding out that there I go. Yeah. That's a good point. Like I'm not, not even giving that a thought. Who knows? So yeah. that's a great point. Yeah, because but the but the benefit is that uh, recently uh, in Iowa they signed a bill this year, and there was a group of people that actually um, really did all the legwork. I wasn't part of it. I found them late late on. What do I want to say? Later on, and they did a a boatload and it was the uh, Iowa Adoptee and Family Coalition and they lobbied in Iowa for a good I want to say three years is what I could what I could tell to have the laws there changed as it related to access to the original birth certificates and they were successful finally uh, through the signing of what is called Oh gosh, I'd have to think about the name of it. I think it's called HF, yeah, HF855 is the legislation. That was just signed in May of 2021. So at the at that signing, uh, it was pretty, pretty uh, monumental for anyone born in Iowa. It was the first time that they had the ability to even request information about themselves unless they went the other route, which you know can be costly, which is to petition courts for your records um, and your adoption records. And unless you have a pretty compelling, um, you know, an unbelievably compelling reason to do that uh, or to receive them, they're typically denied. It's insane to me. So I'll take a breath there. <laughs> it's just insane to me. That we have to be, I don't know, dying. What's that? Oh, I think we might have lost her. She might have lost me. Uh-oh. What happened? I can see my voice going up and down. Can you hear me on your microphone? Because yours is not going up and down anymore. Hmm. Okay. Well, I'm going to pause for just a moment here and see if we can find Lisa Ann again. Except that I live in fear of hitting the wrong button. Okay, so Lisa Ann cannot hear me. Technology adventures. I cannot hear her either. Okay, so let's see what we can discover here. I am going to attempt to pause and see what happens. Okay, so I don't know if I should blame the utility workers that are in my street in front of my house or what's going on, but we lost each other there for a minute. So the, the miracles of technology. Welcome back, Lisa Ann. <laughs> Why, thank you. I, I think the utility workers and high tech get all the blame, right? If we're gonna, if we're gonna go there, but yeah. So I think we, we were trying to figure out here where we lost each other and um, I was babbling. I felt like I was babbling and then I realized she's not talking back to me. So <laughs> I'm just a really good listener. Yeah, so here we are. Here we're back. We're back. Yeah, I think we were talking about just how insane compelling reasons are. Uh, you know, how you have to go before a judge and present a compelling reason to receive your own information. Yeah, and that could be a podcast episode on my opinions of <laughs> of adoptee rights 
you know, that just, if there's anything I could probably rant about for a good, you know, hour or so, it would be that just the, just how silly it is and how ridiculous um, the concept is behind that. And I don't know if it's really getting any better. Um, I think we, we also uh, touched on, you know, the Iowa's change in um, providing your original birth certificate, right? Yeah. And that's that's just like a small little document. That's That's not even really scraping the surface of getting what you need to find out who you are. That is so true. There's so much more information that we would like to have. You know, the gap that you have at the beginning of your life and medical records and just there's just so much that people who aren't adopted take for granted yeah well they and they have no idea right there's it's very hard even in you know in our home in my home it's very hard for my family to connect the dots to things that matter to me that they're just like i don't get it right and um, you, you just, unless you're adopted, I really truly believe it's hard to, to really even relate. It's, there's very little that's relatable there. No, that's true. I try to find ways to make things relevant to people. And sometimes I think, you know, we manage to hit on uh, kind of universal themes that people can tie into, you know, like the universal and desire to know who we are and and what our purpose is and where we come from. I think those are universal themes that adoption kind of throws a wrench in. I would agree. But those same themes are universal, I would say, in the adoptee community as well, because they are also the reasons many people do search right and yeah. we know we know we have you know adoptees that uh search for a long time uh we have adoptees that have searched and been very fortunate and find things out in a relatively quick manner we know we have adoptees who didn't even know they should be searching as is i believe in your case right late discovery adoption yeah and you know, there are there are adoptees that will never search because they are perfectly comfortable uh, with with the way things are in their life. And, um, you know, that's that is a personal decision. You know, for me, I made the decision to go ahead and search. And uh, as I mentioned before, I, I really felt that having that gap in my life uh, and then constantly knowing uh, that I was adopted, but having no other information really drove me to to do what I wanted to do or to, um, you know, move into the space of officially searching, right? And so I, I would say for myself, I searched for, you know, kind of not wholeheartedly searched, but kind of searched, right? In the early 90s when everything was on the television shows and you would you know see all these great reunions and it was so oh. wonderful and warm and you know now i know better oh, and yeah. right yeah but but that spurred a lot of different things and there were registries right there were databases search registries a few of mm -hmm. them still exist irony iowa had one i i really don't remember right now if it's even relevant but I would go and randomly check it. And in order for those to work, two people have to be searching for each other, right? The someone biological and, and then the adoptee. Yeah. In my case, it didn't work, right? Yeah, it didn't work for me either. I registered with the um, International Soundex. Mm -hmm. It used to be called the ISSR. That was the big one back in the 90s, I think. And then I think each some states had their own. Mm -hmm. I was born in the UK. They had their own registry. So you really do have to uh, do a lot of research and figure out even what sources are available to you. Yeah. And, and just think about that for a minute. Not all of us um, in the world are research analysts or have that need to do a bunch of research. I mean, I can't 
I can't think of a time prior to really buckling down and, and searching where I felt my whole world had to be researched, right? And um, and not everybody has those capabilities and and or the resources. And so we're just making it so difficult for people to find out who they are. And it's just silly. Um, and that's just, you know, my un, uh, not very humble opinion. <laughs> no, that, I, right? I, I think it's demeaning. I think it's dehumanizing. I th I mean, if we want to just, if you want to hear a strong opinion, here we go. I, I think <laughs> it is an absolute violation of our human rights. And I believe that we are infantilized. We are invalidated. We are treated as other and lesser than because we do not enjoy the same basic right to our original identity that non-adopted people enjoy. And when we do have to pay, we often have to pay considerably more like when we are able to apply. So that brings me back to, so this year, you are informed that the state of Iowa is allowing applications for people to obtain their original birth certificate. Now, were you eligible to receive yours? No, and this particular um, law uh, kind of diced it into two groups. So anyone born before a particular date in uh, 1971 they were able to immediately apply for their um, original birth certificate, right? Or we call it the OBC. Yeah. And uh, I suspect <laughs> that the vital records department had a pretty good inkling of how many that could potentially be based off of that home that I mentioned earlier where unwed mothers went to. And I would tell you, I, I'd be really surprised if people didn't ship their daughters there, right? During yeah. the, where did the where did the girls go? I think is the name of the book. Um, so you kind of get the the sense that they already, they already knew there'd be a pretty good volume. Uh, and then starting in uh, January, it says January 2nd, but really the first business day is January 3rd of 2022 anyone born after that uh, the next date anyone after i think it's 1971 they can go ahead and they can submit for their birth certificate as well and so then and then after that point anybody can right because now it's open to to all of the um age ranges okay so now is there a redaction clause or a veto included in the new Iowa law? You know, that's a great question. And I, I don't think there is. I have not heard of that. Uh, and nobody's talked about that. So I think that there's, you know, a good possibility that it, it doesn't exist. And uh, I can always send you a link later and we can uh, follow up in your show notes on that. But I don't believe that there is. Okay. Now there, there could be the con, you know, on my, my particular one, uh, if I was not named, then, you know, it's going to say baby girl, right? So, yeah. um, but I believe I was named, um, having um, met my biological mother, she mentioned in our very first meeting that she had named me and, um, and, and shared what that name was. I'd like to see it on the birth certificate. So I hope it's there. Oh, that would be wonderful. I, I know yeah. it's very disconcerting to receive your birth certificate and it just says, you know, babe girl or baby, baby girl yeah. yeah on it that was kind of yeah. shocking uh, <laughs> for me I bet cool. I bet and so for those people listening who don't know what a disclosure veto or a redaction is that is when the state advertises itself as being open access but they include this this kind of diabolical little clause where in order for the original birth certificate to contain the names of the person's parents and a lot of times the father's name isn't listed but the mother's usually is uh, in some states they allow the mother to veto the inclusion of their name on the certificate 
So it's, it's very, as you can imagine, it's very discouraging when you apply and then are told you can't receive it because your um, parent has denied you access. So that would be great if Iowa's not doing that. Yeah, well, let's follow up on that in the in the notes. But you know, I as you were as you were talking through that, what ran through my mind is how how unfortunate again that the rights of someone else supersedes my human rights. And so by by doing that, by redacting or veto, right, veto power, um, that piece of paper that I have, I'm, I'm looking forward to getting, right, then becomes essentially useless in the search, right? Yeah. And so I have now set myself up, I'm just kind of playing it out in my mind as we're talking. And so I've set my, myself up, I have this opportunity, I'm going to get to see information about myself. How wonderful is that? And then I don't. And so then what do I what am I left to do? Right. And I think that in my case, that's really why I went down my search path of using uh, DNA, right, commercial DNA uh, to to try to help crack the code as I as I joke about on the regular. Yes. Well, you really are because they've set up, if you think about it, there's so much coded language included yeah. in the practice of adoption. And and I think when a lot of us first begin this process of applying for our documents, we have to learn a new language. Because we don't grow up going, oh, I'm going to look for my OBC and my ABC and my <laughs> non-ID. You know, that's not like we're just running around going, yeah, that's what I'm going to do. <laughs> I had, I don't know about you, but I had to learn what is an ABC. It's an amended birth certificate. It's basically a falsified document that we use as a legal fiction. Right. Uh, but I don't have an opinion. Well, and I have to, I have to be, you know, pretty transparent here. I had no clue until I started, you know, immersing myself in the community that the birth certificate I had wasn't really real. Yeah. Like, like you don't even know that, right? I mean, when, when did you learn that that was the truth, that the one you had in your hand was not real? Because that is the one, no offense, it is the one that has pretty much ruled your life and you get all of your other legal documents off of that, right? I was 33. Yeah. So I was 40 something. <laughs> oh, when you learned that it, I mean, well, you knew you were adopted so did it not just make that connection in your brain that the people listed as your parents were not your parents on just, your birth certificate yeah it just never clicked right I mean I knew I know that sounds so weird no, you no. know but you know but then you really don't know like you just who looks at their birth certificate and goes well this thing's a fake <laughs> well but, but really what you're saying is so important because it really goes to show how we internalize and normalize something that's not normal that's yeah. not you know because <laughs> you had 40 something years of people just you know that's your birth certificate yeah and and you know again you just you just don't sometimes you just don't connect the dots and yeah didn't well it I didn't, didn't even cross my mind if I had not searched I don't think I would have ever I would have ever picked up on that yeah I, well maybe because I got it all dumped on me in one moment mm -hmm. there was no like let's build up to this it was <laughs> like here's this picture you're not pregnant oh yeah I forgot <laughs> to mention oh surprise <laughs> why yeah. are you not happy about this yeah yeah so but really you you just take for granted that these documents and I think too if you're raised by parents who emphasize that they're like honest upstanding law-abiding people you 
it, you can't conceive of them perpetrating like this kind of fraud. Like this piece of paper is who you are. Yeah. Yeah. And Certainly puts a new spin on, you know, the concept of a name. <laughs> yeah. Right. I mean, well. we early, earlier we were talking and you had pointed out I I could have even more names than the two that I think I might have had. And I'm I'm wrapping my brain around it as we are talking um, through this. And and then when we went on our little commercial break, <laughs> we, we realized how important a name is. Right. And, and you had shared with me um, to my to my much dismay that I was saying your name inaccurately. So we fixed that. But then we were talking about, you know, just names in general. Right. And uh, being called different things. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's crazy. And it, it really does affect how you perceive yourself when, you know, you have all these different names and, you know, who are you really when, when you look at that? I think that's why so many adoptees, we change our names. Uh, sometimes back to what our parent name does sometimes some combination of our parents' names, we add them to our adopted name, and there's, or we just choose our own name. Right, now I have not given that any thought, but uh, it almost sounds good. Like, yeah, well, I clearly, I I'm clearly not that person, and we oh. don't know how many other identities I had in between the two names. And yeah. so if, if it's that, you know, if it's that insignificant, why don't we call me this today? Uh. Yeah, that's a hard thing to swallow that, yeah. you know, that, in, that it could be insignificant. And yet, I think people don't get just how uh, huge names are for adopted people. Yeah, yeah. So now yeah. you were not allowed to receive your documents. So you had to essentially create your own documents through the going the extra, you know, added expense of pursuing DNA tests. And, and along with those, the memberships that you have to pay for to be part of different platforms. Yeah. You know, and I, I sometimes forget how much I pay right now in membership fee for, you know, just to continue to have access to yeah. those records, right? Oh, yeah. And it, I was thinking about this uh actually today then it didn't have a correlation to what we were going to talk about but it's fitting right now the investment the monetary investment that i have put forth in literally from 2015 to 2021 to date is is staggering staggering mm -hmm. and i think to myself you know, as I was going through it, because as you know, putting a podcast together is not insignificant, right? And I've done a, a quite the way a few I things. do it. It's pretty insignificant. I'm like, yeah, we've got people. <laughs> well, I I don't know. It's still your time, and your time is money, right? And um, and then you're putting yourself out there, and there's a value to that as well. And as it continues to grow and you're killing it. You're you're doing a great job, and it's going to pick up speed. I know it is. I I feel it in my bones, um, and it's it's important. The you know the, these types of conversations are extremely. Important. But when we when I wrap my head around just the investment, right? It it does vary for different people, mm -hmm. but it still is an investment, and not everyone has, you know, the capabilities to do what I have done or what you have done or to pay a reoccurring fee uh, membership just so I can look at family trees. Yeah, right. It's just it's such a um, it's such an example of inequality. Yeah, it's silly. So access, you know, yeah. to access for people. Yeah. So give us our data. Let's just stop messing around. Right. Yeah, <laughs> like that's, that's really the, the bottom line. Just stop if it, it. If it costs less than $20 to get a copy of, you know, our children's birth certificates or our partners or, uh, you know, our biological, you know, like your partner's normal, you know, non-adoptee 
wanting his parents' death certificate or something. Right. And it's less than 20 bucks. It's like a form. You fill it out. You present two forms of ID. It comes in the mail. But what you've had to do, so, so just for example, how many DNA testing sites have you invested in? Oh, that's a great question. Five. Five. <laughs> okay. Right. And for those of the, for people listening who may just be going, what five, please explain why we have multiples that we use. Well, it's not uniform. And, uh, and that would be, gosh, I just, you asked such a great question because I, my mind is like, gosh, if there was a way to make it uniform, of course there will never be because it's a commercial money-making adventure. Yeah. So uh, I could rant on that for a couple more minutes, right? You made money on me on the front end and you're making a boatload of money on me at the back end too. So, hey, let's go ahead and continue to monetize adoption as if it's a great thing. That's my 10 seconds of snark, but <laughs> right. And yeah, I'm all not the people that are, have, in, you know, have vested interests in preventing us from simply accessing our documents. Yeah. yeah. So because it's commercial, right. And that means there's multiple companies that offer solutions. You, you do not know where you're going to get a hit and you want to match. I wanted a match. I wanted to figure it out. And so I started with, at the time, the most popular uh, commercial DNA kit on the market. There were two really popular ones uh, in 2017. I went with Ancestry.com. And then from there, you know, you can download that information, which I did. And there's a couple of other places that are free. But then if you want more information, you know, you meaning free, you can load your data up and you can see just a little bit. But if you really, really want to see information, then you're going to subscribe. And um, so, yeah, I've done that. And then there are other DNA kits. There's, you know, even more on, on what do I want to say, more stringent in their testing. And so I know people who have taken the DNA test to the next level because they're not as confident in the commercial version and so they go to you know the super science lab and, and they have paternity um determined right at that point i've not done that um so and i don't feel a need to do that but gosh yeah five i think i had five subscriptions at one time i am down to one again because i have identified uh the biological parents uh, and I've, I've been in reunion with various members of the biological family. So I didn't feel a need to keep, uh, you know, multiple subscriptions. Yeah, I, I think that's a, a good point that, you know, we may start out by casting this really wide net because we really don't know, we don't have the ability to do this like narrow focus when we don't have any information, mm -hmm. you know, especially for you with no starting point other than, you know, here's the state that I theoretically was, <laughs> was born and adopted from. And that's, you know, that's something to mention here too, is that people are sometimes born in one state where their mother has traveled from another state. So she's not a resident of the state where she gives birth. And then we can be adopted to another state or country. Mm -hmm. And different localities have different laws uh, governing where your, you know, where your files are going to be kept based, you know, based on their rules about adoption. So you could fall under the state of Texas for where your records are kept if you were adopted in Texas, but maybe you were adopted from Nevada mm -hmm. and other you know, traveled to Nevada from Washington. <laughs> so it's not straightforward. Yeah. 
Yep. It never is. It never is. So did That's... you find that your mother was from Iowa? No, my, my, my biological uh, parents were from a neighboring state. So it wasn't, it wasn't as you just described super, you know, super far in distance, but it was, it was, um, you know, it wasn't just in that town. And the, the little unknown piece uh, that I learned very recently was uh, associated with how did my how did my biological mother get there and and uh, deliver? She has a aunt. She had an aunt uh, who had taken another uh, uh, her cousin there many years ago, and the her mom, my biological grandmother. And that uh, sibling of hers talked about this particular location. And that's how I, I, you know, ended up getting um, delivered there in Iowa. Otherwise, who knows where it would have been, right? Um, it wasn't like they were searching for a home for unwed mothers, right? It just was a series of coincidences. Okay, so you had had another relative who had gone to the same home to give birth? Yeah, apparently. Yeah, that was a very new tidbit of information passed on to me uh, a few weeks ago by um, one of my biological aunts. And because I am, you know, as you, uh, I, don't, I don't know how it is for you, but for me, I am a pretty significant topic in the biological family. Uh, <laughs> like some don't know really what to do with me and some are embracing and you know some are, are somewhere in the middle and that's very common and so I just happen to be on my biological mother's side a pretty interesting topic of discussion regularly yeah. and but and they're they've been very inclusive uh, of me and I've I'm uh, I am thankful for that uh, but it's just interesting when I hear about oh I was talking about you with so and so and I'm like oh okay well <laughs> I guess you know the fact she's telling you is a good thing you're not oh yeah they're not trying to keep you a secret now yeah so will you apply then to receive your OBC when the law changes next year I yep I will do that absolutely I just want to see it I just want to see my I just want to see a real document about me yeah I and just hold it and it's yours and you get to keep it now is there a fee for the state of Iowa for you to apply and receive that I'm I'm sure there is you know it's a vital record I think it's the same as if you're requesting your your you know I guess your normal I don't even know if that's the right word but your legal birth certificate well, that's you know, nice if it's the same because most yeah. adoptees have to pay more. Yeah, I I think Iowa and I, I will put this in the show notes too. Um, I think they were pretty pretty um, even keeled about that uh, and ensuring that it was pretty much the same for applying for a vital record, right? Nice. Now I've uh, I of course have had to get my other birth certificate from them previously, way back in the day when I moved around too much and couldn't find uh couldn't find mine and wanted to apply for a passport uh so it wasn't difficult they have a really great website actually their their actual um iowa department of um health public health and vital records has a, a pretty pretty good website and ordering system so Oh, that's really wonderful yeah. to hear it, you know, because some states allow you to apply, but they make the process so convoluted and expensive that it's it's a huge discouragement for people who are actually, um, you know, attempting mm -hmm. the process. So now you're allowed the, the change in the law allows you to apply and receive a copy of your original birth certificate. Are you allowed to? apply for and receive your original um, files from the um, 
from the place that you were born, like the Florence Crittenden home? Well, I believe that home no longer exists there. Um, and it was a, a fairly big hospital. So that will be my next major research project, right? Um, what is available and what records are there? What records may be um, housed or, um, you know, uh, somewhere else. But it, through the Iowa Department of Public Health and Safety, I just went to the website, right? Because I, I felt like, okay, let's, let's answer a couple of questions. There are three things that you can actually apply for and um and the website says you know wait about six weeks to process so six weeks to process these items is another great indicator to me that there's a, a large volume yeah. uh, biological parent contact preference form biological parent medical history form which you couldn't ask for before that i remember an application to request a non-certified copy of original cert certificate of birth prior to adoption, right? Yeah. And let's see, that form is two pages. And I went quickly. And it doesn't tell me anything about the fees. Oh, yeah, the cost is five. Uh, I'm sorry. The cost is $15 to order a non-certified copy of the original certificate of birth prior to adoption. The non-certified copy is not to be used <laughs> for legal purposes yeah yeah, oh. yeah. Uh, you know what it's here's a really crazy story so you know how they are requiring that real id to mm -hmm. apply okay so i called to find out i had a couple of questions about applying for my real id and i was told because i was born in another country so i was like this is going to be a pain in the ass so I called and the lady said, well, your adoption certificate's not going to be adequate for you to get your real ID. And I said, well, it's been my birth certificate since I was adopted. I got my driver's license with it originally. And she said, well, it won't be sufficient. So I had to, uh, I had to order another copy of my non-certified original birth certificate from the UK so that I can present it along with my amended birth certificate in order to get my real ID. Now, no, because I knew, because I know where you live and you know where I live. Yeah. I am, I'm flabbergasted um, <laughs> because I'm trying to think of what, what DMV office has enough staff to know that. Yeah. <laughs> or even, <laughs> Yeah, no, it, well, part of it is because I was born in another country and I have a birth certificate issued by that country since 9-11. Um, I, um, I get extra special attention whenever I apply for anything. But so I'm intrigued and maybe we'll have to do this on my podcast and on D because I am absolutely intrigued by that portion of the story. But um, so up until then, and you didn't even know, and now you have to, you have to present a, a birth certificate that if you had never found out, you wouldn't have known and would have been not required. I, yeah. My, that yeah well you know <laughs> it's just another layer of and the thing is that I, if i had not if i had just gone in for my appointment i have no idea what would have been the result but because i was i don't know stupid i asked questions <laughs> right. okay. i think i just made extra work for myself wow yeah but, wow. but I have had, we have had hangups because of my adopted status and my, my foreign born status since 2001. Wow. Well, I'm very intrigued by that. Cause I'm wondering, you know, that's you doing the right thing and, and probably putting on any forms that ask you, um, are you foreign born and you mark it? Yes. Right. Yeah. Well, you know, for the real ID, you have to bring in. Right. You know, all of this information they wow. you know they want your birth certificate and your wedding certificate and you know 
anything that changes your name at any point because they have to verify that you're you. So I have no idea how that's gonna affect other foreign born adoptees who were raised in the United States. Wow. When they go to apply for things. So, you know, like you, I, I suspect this is something that is happens to you every time I talk to an adoptee and, um, you know, through this type of a medium or, or, you know, just general conversation or one of our, you know, not real life friends um, that we have out there on the internet. I am astounded by all the variations that some of us have to go through. I would have never thought of that. I don't have that situation. So those things you know, don't cross my mind. Um, right. Yeah. That's crazy. That's crazy. Yeah, it is. Uh, and so now you will be able to apply for these documents. And then because of the changes in the law, you may be entitled to any records that were preserved when the uh, adoption agency mother's home hospital was closed. Because I know in some states, they require those agency records to be maintained in a central location, even after the agency closes. Yep. And I just have to figure out where that is, right? I don't know where that is. I haven't, I haven't started the next private detective activity. Yeah, this of Lisa Ann. Right. Season two coming to the theater soon. <laughs> I you know, and what you said about, you know, probably the majority of adoptees are not trained in, in research and analysis. And so those of us who, you know, maybe had some of those skills before we began this process uh, can hopefully help inform those who are just, you know, feeling lost. In fact, that was one of the motivations to start this podcast was to kind of provide information about documents and searches and uh -huh. what your options are. Uh, because, you know, not knowing, not even knowing where you need to start, that's not uncommon. Yeah. And it truly is different for each of us. I mean, you could start with documents, you could start with DNA, you could start with some picture. Um, I mean, there are just so many ways that these these stories get uncovered. And um, especially I think the generation that we're, we're from and, and uh, those that were in baby scoop and closed adoption, I feel they have a very uh, specialized nuance to the search. Open adoption, I can't even imagine what that's like. Um, I don't, I don't have enough, I just don't have enough of the understanding of, of the adoptee thought process of someone who knows, right? So, um, yeah, it's just, it's definitely changed over the years. That's for sure. Well, and, and I think, sorry, no, go ahead. Uh, the concept of open adoption, one of the things that I have learned in doing these podcasts and in talking with people and researching is that there's this uh, perception that open adoption became the thing in the 80s and that everybody from then on has been participating wow. in these open adoptions. And I would just like to say for the record that that is garbage. Yeah. And, and most birth mothers, which is not a term that I care for, I, because I think it diminishes the role of our mothers in our lives, but it's the common parlance. So when I say birth mothers, most birth mothers are in like a desperate kind of situation when they find themselves considering putting their child up for adoption. And they often don't know the laws governing adoption. And they don't know that you have to write it into the contract. You have to have a legally binding contract in order to enforce an open adoption. 
Otherwise, the open adoption is up to the discretion of the adoptive parents, and they may cut off contact at any point and usually do. And so let's let's take a moment on that at at you know let's be real at the age that a large number of women are um, relinquishing their babies, right? Yeah. Do you think they have the tools, the knowledge, the soft skills to do that? I would say, gosh, probably not. I think of myself at 20, like even if it was 20 to 25, I would never have considered legalese, right? Yeah. My life, my life path between the, in those years, right? Even 16 to 25, I'll even broaden the brush, right? But I was certainly would not have thought of legalese to put in a in an adoption co- contract that protected my rights or gave me access whenever it even crossed my mind again. Yeah. Lots of things don't cross your mind, right? No. And like I said, you know, you're in this position where you, you've decided you want to carry your child to term. And you know, the more research they do, the more they find that most mothers want to try to figure out a way to keep their child and they only relinquish them when they feel like they have no other options. So, you know, they're not going to be thinking like, I really need to make sure I get this in writing. I need to, I need to investigate the laws of the place where I'm going to be giving birth I need to make sure that, you know, the lawyer representing this whole adoption process is my lawyer, not the adoptive parents or the agency's lawyer. I so many, there are so many stories of mothers who suddenly find themselves uh, cut out of their child's life because the adoptive parents believe it's too confusing for the child to maintain contact or the child begins to act out and it makes things difficult for the adoptive parents. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I definitely don't have that experience and, you know, kind of to, we've been, we've been going for a while now. (laughs) You and I, I think the first time we talked to, we went quite a long time and we could go forever and ever. I know I could. Um, I think it's it's easy to do. I try to keep these to like under an hour and a half and we are, we're closing in on that, but then we had our little gap, but we probably should be kind of wrapping up. And I think, I would agree. I think it's definitely obvious though, in these conversations with you and with other adoptees that adoption is multifaceted and we could talk about this, you know, exhaustively. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, I, there will probably be follow-up invitations to people. Come back. Yeah. Come yeah. So I would love you to. Were going to share with somebody like the most important thing that you would want someone just beginning the process of applying for their documents or who's, you know, even maybe kind of where you are, what, what's, advice would you give someone about this process? I think I would start with, if you are at the beginning, at the very beginning, have patience um, and just start there. I mean, just know it's not going to be, it could be a great quick win. Uh, The likelihood is uh, minimal and never give up. And I, I will I'm sure many in my position have thought over time, depending on how many years, is it worth this? I have, as an adoptee, a great comfort in knowing a few things, right, right, that I didn't know before. And I feel more settled as a human. And so that that was a win for me and continues to be a daily win. So patience, that would be my first tip. My second tip is, ask questions. Don't be afraid to ask questions. Find someone, find someone such as yourself and myself and others in the community who have been through this, um, who might be able to give you like, oh yeah, if you, 
oh, you found you found that on that website. Now go look for this or search in obituaries or, you know, just someone that can give you that support you need within the community. That would be my second. And my third is while it may feel to you and sometimes maybe to your family, like in mine, that you talk about it all the time. Uh, make sure that you keep your family, the one that's close to you, a friend or a confidant, or some support that's also outside the community of adoptee, keep them informed as to what you're going through, because they do care and they, they, they will help you, but they will also help the narrative that needs to change around this entire topic. That is great advice. I, I really hope people take that to heart. Um, I think that the members of the community, we all have so much that we can share with one another. But like you say, we can also help inform uh, others so that we can change the narrative around adoption. Yeah, I agree. Well, it's been my pleasure to be uh, with you today. And uh, I look forward to, you know, that re-invite back. Yeah, well, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me today. I apologize again for the the techno burp or whatever we want to call it. <laughs> the wretched, unreliable. Yeah, <laughs> uh, the, uh, yes. the non-commercial commercial break. Yes. <laughs> yep, like, and here's fun. our commercial break. Yeah. <laughs> you All that good me. stuff. Frolic. Yeah. So thank you so much. And uh, everyone who is listening, thank you very much for joining us today. Thank you so much. Yeah. Did you um, want to stop recording? I think I did. <laughs> did I not stop recording? Mm -mm. We continue to record. <laughs> How do I even make it stop now that I hit the wrong? Oh, wait, there's another little button. I... I am learning more every day about how to make this. Nope. Okay. Wait a minute. There's the button. Once again, everyone, thank you so much for joining us today. And uh, thank you for being part of my um, learning arc. <laughs>